Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick. Second Kings chapter two, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we want to come to it, Lord, knowing that you're a God who speaks today, just as you've spoken in the past, Lord. We want to hear your word and we want to receive it. And so, Lord, by the power of your spirit, Lord, give us open, formable, malleable hearts, Lord, that we would hear your word, that we would receive it, and Lord, that it would transform our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible is filled with stories, isn't it, of the incredible things that God has done in the past. As we've been studying 1 Kings over the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the amazing things that God did through the prophet Elijah. And I wonder how many of you are like me in the sense that when you read these things, you read about what God did in the past, these incredible works of God in generations gone by, you, you maybe sometimes have this thought to yourself where you say, does God still do those kinds of things today? Where is the God of Elijah today? And, and look, if you ask those kinds of questions, you wouldn't be the first to ask those kinds of questions. In fact, in our text today, we're going to see a person named Elisha, and he asked those exact same questions in his time, in his generation. He had heard about the great things that God had done in the past. And he wondered, he desired, he longed that God would do great things in his time, in his generation, even through his people at that time as well. And so what we're going to do as we study this passage, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that the God of Elijah was with Elisha, and he will be with us as we carry the baton of God's work in our generation and point people to Jesus. Uh, what we're going to do, we've been doing this every week, I give you kind of a, a thesis statement or a thesis sentence, and then that becomes our outline for how we go through this passage. So I'd love it if you take that sentence, maybe take a photo of it with your phone, maybe write it down, memorize it. You'll know that's what we talked about at church. That's the passage and the message for us today. The God of Elijah was with Elisha, and he will be with us as we carry the baton of God's work in our generation and point people to Jesus. So let's break that down as we study this passage. The God of Elijah was with Elisha. First of all, who are these people? Let me, let me bring you up to speed. Elijah and Elisha, they were both prophets. They were both prophets. Now, Elijah was the older prophet from the older generation. Elisha is now the younger prophet for the younger generation. The prophets in Israel at this time, they were kind of like the pastors of the people, whereas the priests served in the temple and, and took care of the sacrifices and making sure the incense was lit and, and having all of the things that needed to be done in the temple. The prophets were different. The prophets weren't centered around the temple. They were out amongst the people. They were speaking the word of God into the hearts and lives and ears of the people. They were the ones shepherding the hearts of the people towards God. And so the prophet Elijah, he had served during a very difficult time in Israel's history. But now, as we saw in our study last week, the time has come for Elijah's ministry and his time on earth to end. We read in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. We looked at this last week, but we're going to kind of pick up in this place again and focus a little bit more. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, 
it says that after Elijah and his protege, Elisha, they've crossed the Jordan River. And they're standing there on the banks of the Jordan River. And Elijah is caught up and carried away by a whirlwind. Now, some people think, they have this idea, that Elijah was carried away like he rode up to heaven in like a chariot of fire, right? Even, even uh, we have songs about that, right? Like, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. But I want you to notice this. If you read the text, Elijah didn't ride a chariot of fire up into heaven. What happened is the horses of fire and the chariots of fire, they came not for the purpose of carrying Elijah up. They came to separate Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah, the older man, he was caught up in this whirlwind. It's like a small tornado that literally picked his body up off the ground and carried him away. And the reason why the chariots of fire and the, the, the horses of fire came was to separate these two men because they were too close together. And God only wanted Elijah, the older prophet, to be carried away in the whirlwind, not Elisha. So they had to separate them. Now, I want you to notice the reaction of Elisha to Elijah being caught and taken up in this whirlwind. Now, you might think he's been being prepared to become the next prophet to take over. What might he say when Elijah's removed from the scene? He might say, yay, I got a promotion. Now I'm like a real, legit, full-grown prophet. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say, yay, I got a promotion. Look at what he says in verse 12. Elisha saw it, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Elijah has been being trained by Elijah to take over the ministry when Elijah is gone and isn't there no more. But when Elijah is taken away, Elisha doesn't react, and he's not happy. He doesn't say, yay, I got promoted. Instead, no, he's sad. He's weeping. He's mourning. Why? Because his mentor, his friend, one of the greatest men who ever lived in the history of Israel has been taken away. This is a huge sense of loss for him personally and for the nation as a whole. But notice this strange phrase he says. Why does he say this? He says, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. It's kind of a weird thing to say at a time like this, don't you think? Well, actually, if you understand that culture, the ancient culture, what he's saying here makes a lot of sense. And it's quite profound, really, because think about this. In ancient cultures, chariots and horsemen represented military might and military power. And most of the time, the strength of a nation was measured by how many chariots and how many horsemen they had. That's why it says in Psalm 20, for example, what we read in our call to worship, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, chariots and horsemen, they represented the strength of a nation. It would be like us saying about the United States, saying the economy of the United States and its military. That's the essence of saying, you know, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And what Elisha is saying is, is actually quite profound. He's saying the true strength of our nation, the true strength of Israel is not our economy. It's not our military. The true strength of Israel was Elijah. It was this man of God who stood for the way of God, who called people back to God. That was the strength of our nation, and it is now gone. You see, what Elijah represented was the continued work of God in Israel and the continued presence of God in Israel, that God wasn't done with Israel. He was still pursuing them. That's what Elijah represented. And now 
He's gone. He's been taken away. And there's this huge sense of loss. And there at the end of verse 12, it says this, Elijah took hold of his clothes and he tore them to pieces. Now listen, to tear your clothes, this is an expression in that culture and in the Middle East of deep sorrow and deepest lament, right? You know, people back then, they didn't have a closet full of clothes like you do from like Old Navy and H&M, which are probably ripping and falling apart and you're going to throw them away next week anyway, right? Uh, no, back then you had maybe one or two pairs of clothes. They were very expensive. So really, I would think the equivalent of ripping your clothes like he did is to be like you taking your smartphone and throwing it on the asphalt to destroy it. Seriously, it was, it was meant that you were very, very upset. Now, listen, we've all probably experienced some sense of this feeling that Elisha had at different times and different ways in our lives. You know, there are people who make such a big impact that when they're taken away, you wonder, how can I even continue? How can I even go on? You know, how, how will the world ever be the same? How is this okay that this person who is so important has been taken away? You know, from time to time, even in different areas of life and, and in ways, there, there are people who it's hard to imagine going on without them. You know, you think about what is football without Peyton Manning? What, what, is, what is basketball without Michael Jordan? What is the civil rights movement without Martin Luther King Jr.? On a spiritual level, we have people like Billy Graham, right? God used him in such an incredible way. We have people like Chuck Smith teaching through the Bible for 40 years. We have people like Ravi Zacharias, who we just lost in the last few months, right? This incredible evangelist going on to college campuses and, and bringing God's word to the intellectual level. And when these people are taken away, it feels like nothing can ever be the same again after that. It's such a huge loss for us personally and for the world. We wonder, how can that be a good thing? God used these people in such incredible ways, and now they're gone. And maybe there have been people like that in your own life, right? Mentors, pastors, leaders, the kind of people that you look to and lean upon, right? You look to them for guidance and direction. You lean upon them for strength. That's what Elijah was, both for Elisha personally and for the nation of Israel as a whole. He was this great figure who was like a pillar. He was a guiding light for an entire generation in the nation. You know, and sometimes what we ask, we ask this question, who will be the next Billy Graham, right? Will there ever be another one? Who will be the next Billy Graham? Who will be the next C.S. Lewis? But remember this. This is, this is nothing new with the people of God. How do you think people felt when Moses died? Who could ever fill those shoes, right? Moses. How do you think people felt when the apostles died, the ones who had walked with Jesus? When they were gone, there must have been this incredible sense of loss. Who could ever take their place? You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., we have implemented procedures to ensure your safety as we gather for worship and studying God's Word. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. When Martin Luther died, or John Wesley, or Jonathan Edwards, right? It probably felt, when those people died, it probably felt like the strength of God's work in the world had died along with them. 
And that's exactly what Elisha was feeling there on the banks of the Jordan River when Elijah was caught up into heaven. And yet, friends, I want to remind you, even when Moses died, the presence and the work of God in the world continued, didn't it? Now listen, there would, there would never be another Moses. You could never replicate that. You would ne no one else could ever do what he did. But God raised up other people in their generations to carry on that torch, that work in the world. The same was true of the apostles. You could never replace them. And the same is true today. In every generation, those people had their time. They were called, raised up, equipped for their time. And in every generation, God calls and raises up new people to carry on his work. I want you to notice what Elisha does in verse 13, the first part. It says, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. Elijah's cloak, in some of your translations, it says his mantle. I like that word better because it, it just refers to this idea of carrying a weight of responsibility, this mantle that had fallen to the ground when the whirlwind had picked him up and carried his body away. Elijah's mantle, his cloak, it represented his anointing and his authority as a prophet. It was a symbol of his ministry and his calling from God. And Elisha sees the mantle of Elijah, they're lying on the ground, and he picks it up, and he puts it on his own shoulders. And then it says there at the end of verse 13, then Elisha went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan, verse 14, and he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, and I want you to notice this question he asks, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he struck the water, and the water was parted at one side to the other, and Elisha went over. Do you understand what he did there and why he did that? Look in your Bibles, if you will, back up at verse 8 of this same chapter. 2 Kings 2, verse 8. Look at that verse, and here's what you'll see. Elijah had performed this exact same miracle where he took his mantle and he twisted it up like a towel in the locker room, right? And he snapped it on the water, and the water split in half, and they crossed over. Elijah had done that just a short time before this. And now Elisha takes up the mantle, and he goes, and he performs the same miracle of splitting the water. And look at what Elisha asks. He asks, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He's asking, will the God of Elijah be with me in the same way that he was with Elijah? And the answer is yes. God divides the river Jordan uh, for Elisha just as he did for Elijah. And that brings us to the, the second part of our sentence, which is this. The God of Elijah was with Elisha, and he will be with us as we carry the baton of God's work in our generation. See, what we're seeing here with Elijah and Elisha, what we're seeing is the passing on of God's work in the world from one generation to the next generation. You know, a few years ago, I ran my first half marathon race, and I showed up to run the race pretty early in the morning. And as I was preparing for the race, you know, just kind of milling around and, and stretching out, I ran into somebody I knew. 
who was there also. And I was really surprised to see him because I knew that this person, he's not a distance runner. So I was like, what are you doing here? I asked him. And as it turned out, uh, at this half marathon, there were two options for running it. One was the traditional half marathon where you run the whole thing by yourself. But there was also a relay option for this half marathon where you would run the half marathon distance with a group of four or five people. And so that's why this friend of mine was there. He was running the relay portion. Now, all the runners in the relay portion, or all the runners, whether you're traditional or relay, we all started out at the same time. But of course, the runners who were in the relay, they held a baton in their hands. And when the race started, right, the gun goes off, the race starts. I'll tell you what, the racers running the relay race, they ran harder and they ran faster. Why? Because they knew they didn't have to run the whole distance. They just had to run the portion that was laid out for them to run. Right? And then they would get to their end of their race. They would hand over that baton. The next person would take the baton, and then they would run the portion that was marked out for them. Now, here's what's interesting about a relay race, is that in theory, a relay race, if you have enough people, it could potentially go on forever. Right? A single racer, a single runner, can only run so far before you just fall over and die. You know, here I was running and just exhausted. And here these guys were running with endurance because they didn't have to run as far. They just had to run their section. If you have enough runners in a relay race, it could theoretically go on forever. It could cover so much distance. And a relay race is a great picture of God's continued work in the world from generation to generation. And that's what we're seeing here with Elijah and with Elisha, the passing of the baton of God's work from one generation to the next. And just like in a relay race, the passing of the baton, it always includes two aspects, right? There are two kind of parts to the passing of the baton. On the one hand, the person carrying the baton has to hand it over and let it go. On the other hand, the person taking the baton has to take hold of it and they have to run with it, right? If, if either of those things don't happen, the race is over. Elijah, he had to let go of his mantle. Can you just imagine another version of this story in which Elijah says, no, I'm just going to cling to this and I'm going to carry it up with me into heaven. It just, that's it. The mantle's gone. Can you imagine another version in which Elisha sees it lying there and he's like, nah, right? Like he just doesn't pick it up and put it on, right? Both things had to happen. There had to be a letting go. There had to be a taking up. In a relay race, again, if, if any runner refuses to do either of these things, to hand over and let go or to take up and run, then the race is over. It's done. In the same way, if there ever comes a generation that refuses to take up the mantle of the ministry and God's work in the world, Christianity's finished in a generation, if there ever comes a generation that refuses to let go and hand over and raise up the next generation, Christianity's finished in a generation. And guys, that's why it's so important. It's imperative. It's urgent that we do both of these things, you and me, that we take up the mantle of God's work in our time, in our generation, and that we be diligently raising up and training the next generation. And guys, let me just say this. Now is our time. We don't have to wait, right? Now is our time to take hold of the baton that is being stretched out to us. Will we take hold of it? Will we take hold of the baton of God's work in the world and run with it here in our generation? 
You know, here at Whitefields, this is so core to who we are. We talk about this a lot. We want to be a church that is actively engaged in the mission of God, both locally and abroad. And we want to do as much as we possibly can with what has been given to us in order to make disciples of Jesus Christ, in order to bring the love of God and the hope of the gospel to the world. Other generations had their time, didn't they? Other generations had their opportunity to run with it. Now is our time. Now is our opportunity. The baton is being stretched out to us. And the question is, will we take it? Will you take it? Will you run with it? Will you take up that mantle of God's work and put it on your shoulders in this generation? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul the Apostle says something that always blows my mind, always surprises me. He says there this, for we are God's fellow workers. Now that word that's translated fellow workers, it can also be translated co-workers. It can be translated co-laborers. And the idea here is this, that God has called us to participate with him in his work. God has called us to be part, to participate, to do his work in the world. Now, that is an incredible thing if you think about it, because obviously God doesn't need us in order to do his work, right? He's not out there wringing his hands saying, oh, no, I'm not going to get stuff done if people don't help me out. He could easily do it by himself. And oftentimes, sometimes he does do things by himself without any assistance at all. Think about this also. God could send angels. He has myriads, armies of angels. He could send them, and they would probably do the work more efficiently, more precisely than any of us ever could. Listen, for God to involve us in his work is a huge liability for him, isn't it? Right? That's a huge liability because we're slow and like we forget stuff and we say the wrong thing and we do the wrong thing and we mess stuff up and we cause problems. And yet God has chosen to involve us and use us to do his work in the world. Now, why in the world would he do that? Here's why. Because he's a father and we're his kids. You know, when, when, when my son was younger, I had this car. It wasn't in great shape. And so sometimes I had to go work on it in the garage. So I would tell my son, I'd be like, hey, why don't you come with me and you can help me work on my car? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Uh, his help wasn't really all that helpful because, as you can imagine, five-year-olds don't know how to fix cars, right? So here he is, and he didn't know how to fix a car, and he would just be out there helping me, but his help, well, you know, basically was like, just make a mess of the tools, ask a lot of questions. When I needed him to hand me something, he's running around in the yard, you know, nowhere to be found. Having my son help me actually made the job take longer, and it made more work for me than if I had just done it myself. I could have done it faster and easier by myself. So why did I involve him? The reason I involved him was because I wasn't after efficiency. I was after intimacy. I wanted to spend time with him. Guys, listen, intimacy is built through shared experiences. Intimacy is built through shared experiences. Now listen, that's true in your marriage. It's true with your kids. It's true in any relationship. If you want to build intimacy, here's how to do it. Have shared experiences. And the reason God invites us into his work is because it builds intimacy between us and him. 
When you step out and do God's work, let's say by teaching a Sunday school class, by, by leading that community group, by giving to support the ministry, whether it's our radio outreach or missions around the world, whenever you participate in one of our local outreaches, if anytime you serve the Lord in any way, something happens between you and God. Something happens. And you know what happens is this. It forces you into a place of dependence, depending on him in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. It forces you to seek him. Lord, what do I say? Lord, what do I do? Lord, show me the way. I need your guidance. I need your direction. And as you do that, it builds intimacy between you and God because it draws you into the arms of your Father because you need Him in that moment. It builds intimacy, the shared experience. Guys, that's why we always repeat over and over here at Whitefields. We want to encourage every person in our church to do two things, to join a group and join a team. We want you in fellowship with each other, community with each other, and we want you to be serving, not because that's our way of getting things done, but because that's God's way of growing his kids. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.